Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're in our series, Eyes on Jesus, where we're jumping into the topics of anxiety, worry, and fear, and how we can fight those things with Jesus on our side. So today, we're getting to the heart of the matter. Why is it that we worry? How can we practically begin to look to Jesus to take care of our every need, just as God's word says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34? We're glad you've joined us as we dive into the answers to these questions in today's message. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that you and I probably worry about. If I were to pass a microphone around and say, what are you worrying about this morning? Or what are the things that are on your mind right now that you are worrying about? I'm sure that I would hear some of the following things. Some of you would say, I'm worried about money. Some of you are worried about the future. Some of you are worried about your children. Some of you have a health concern right now that you are worried about. And any number of things could be causing you worry right now in this moment. And the likelihood of that one of those things that I just mentioned being at the top of your list is probably really great. Because most statisticians and researchers in this area say that most of the things that you and I tend to worry about are squarely in one of two categories, something about money and something about the future. We tend to worry about finances, and we tend to worry about what's going to happen in the future. So if those struck a chord with you this morning, just know that you are normal. You are here and you are normal, but the fact that it's just normal, commonplace response for us, should we live there? Should we camp out there or should we open ourselves up to say, is there a better path for me moving forward? Does God want me to be a person who is really confined by all of the worry in my life or does he have a better path for me? We're in the second week of the series called Eyes on Jesus. And what we're doing in this series is seeking to answer the following questions. Why do we stress? Why do we have anxiety? Particularly this morning, we're going to seek to answer that question. Why do we worry? Why do I worry and what can I do about it? What happens to worry in my life when I turn my eyes on Jesus opposed to turning my eyes to all of the things of this world? So I thought that a good place for us to start would be to just give a definition of worry. And so I went to where we always go for definitions, Mr. Webster. And this is what Mr. Webster says about worry. His definition of worry is that worry is mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually from something impending or anticipated. I like that definition. That's a little wordy for me personally, but I like the definition, so I decided to come up with my own. And my own personal definition of worry is worry is a go-to response for most situations. I thought that was a little bit of a safer definition. You know, whether it's impending doom or actions or all these things, you know, an agitated response, I think for a lot of us, worry is just kind of a go-to situation for a lot of things that happen in our life. But maybe you like Webster's definition better than mine. I think we can all agree that we want to keep worry at bay that this is something that I should keep, seek to keep in its proper place, because if not, it will consume me. And so God's Word, of course, is not silent on this. And so if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be reading in verses 25 through 34. You're also going to see these words up here on the screen. You can hop on that mobile device and follow along um, with us, or uh, perhaps you want to follow along on that worship guide. There's several of the verses that are printed there for you as well. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says about worry. Now, this comes in one of Jesus' largest recorded teachings that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's some incredible truth in Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, but particularly here in verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Listen to what Jesus says about worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for a powerful time of worship through song. Thank you for the community that we experience in this place. And thank you for your word. I pray that you would continue to speak to us now through it. Help us to not be men and women who are consumed by worry, but rather people who are consumed by trust and faithfulness to you. Thank you, God, for each and every person who's here. I know it's not by accident that any of them are here, and so I pray that you would continue to stretch us, mold us, shape us, and make us more and more like you today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for being here with us this morning. For those of you that haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jason, and I get the privilege of serving as a campus pastor here at our Nolensville location, and, and we're just so thrilled that you said yes to whoever invited you to come, or you drove by and saw a sign and decided to make a left or a right turn, which is really hard in Nolensville these days, uh, but uh, to come up on this driveway and be with us this morning, so I'm just so thankful that you are here. I do want to start this morning, though, by saying that I come to you today, and I submit to you as a fellow traveler in this journey with you. In fact, after this sermon is over and it gets posted to the website, I plan on taking a notebook and sitting down and listening to my own words to be able to put them into practice. Because this is something that I want to grow in and that I need to grow in 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 my own personal life. Because I'm not up here today to explain away your problems. I certainly am not going to stand up here and speak to those of you who have gone through really traumatic events in your life and say, you know, you just need to not worry and move on. I'm also not going to stand up here and minimize, you know, the things that have happened in your life and say you just kind of simply got to move on past those things. But what you are going to hear me say time and time and time again is that when we turn our eyes on Jesus, the worries in our life begin to subside. We can either turn our eyes towards the world or we can turn our eyes towards him and ask him to help us make sense of this. Now, if I had to categorize in my own life and maybe in your life the, the, the effects of worry or how big a deal is worry really in our life, I honestly would put it pretty high. I think it categorically is something that a lot of us tend to struggle with. I, I see it in conversations. I hear about it you know, in, in personal conversations. I also, uh, sometimes when it comes to like social media, I'll see lots of things about worry. And in fact, I've, I've noticed even in, in my own life, when I post something about worry on social media, people tend to track with it and they, they tend to want to know more about it. I'm not a social media influencer at all. I had to check before I came up here to see if this was, was true. So get ready to be impressed. I have 2,111 friends on Facebook. 761 followers on Instagram, and 777 followers on Twitter. Now, for those of you not on social media, you're really impressed by that, and you think, he's a big deal. For those of you who are on social media, you realize, no, nope, normal guy. <laughs> Just basic, you know, uh, normal guy. I post pictures of kids and things about coffee and, and you know, sports posts and devotional thoughts, and, but what I realize is when I post something about worry, people start reaching out. 
And it anecdotally helps me to realize that I think that there's just something in our minds that we want to grow in this area. We don't want to be held so captive by these things. And so I want us to unpack some of this, this text this morning because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear, because it's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And that verse, chapter 6, verse 25, starts out with the word, therefore. Pastor Jeff said it last week. I've said it numerous times as well. When you look at Scripture and you see the word, therefore, a question you always have to ask yourself is, what is it there for? Because therefore is a connector. It's not a thought that can just start in and of itself. So I have to go back and read verse 24 to see what's really going on. So go with me there. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. So see what Jesus is saying here is you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and serve money. But if you do, therefore, worry is going to try to rear its head in your life. In fact, go back and look at all of Matthew chapter 6. All of Matthew chapter 6 is about serving two masters and how we try to do that and the problems that surface in our life when we do it. Verses 1 through 4 in chapter 6 say, When you give to the poor, don't give to receive acknowledgement. Don't say, look at how much I gave, but rather do it in silence. Do it in, you know, discreetly because you get your reward from God for that. And if people give you a big pat on the back, attaboy, for all the things that you have done, you know, and that's your motivation. It has nothing to do with the amount of money, but if that's your motivation, then Jesus says that's your reward in full. So it's not about my own personal gain, but it's about serving God. Verses 5 through 14, Jesus says, when you pray, don't go out into the street corners and try to pray really eloquent prayers to make everybody think that you're smarter than you really are, but rather go into a quiet place and pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verses 16 through 18, he says, When you fast, don't make your face really downtrodden and really sour so that when people say, hey, what's going on? You can say, I'm fasting. He says, rather do it in privacy. Don't share with everybody about these things. Verses 19 through 24, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, but rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying you can't serve both money and me. You've got to be, determine which one of these do you want to be devoted to. So all of chapter 6 is about look at me versus look at God. It's about I am great versus God is great. It's about I want more versus I want to give God more. That's the context where this teaching about worry kind of surfaces. And Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, do not worry. Now, it's time to take a time out, because what did I just say that researchers told us was going to be the number one cause of worry in most of our life? What does numerical, really smart people, much, much smarter than me, what have they determined is the number one causes of worry in our life? Finances, resources. Don't you love when God's Word tells you something that we already knew? And we think that that was new earth-shattering information. You know, Harvard research said money is the number one worry. Duh, Jesus said it was going to be our number one worry. And if we don't get that right, you know, then worry is going to ensue into our lives. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be divided. 
Don't try to serve two masters. Don't try to make yourself great and God great. Because what's going to happen in that moment is worry is going to follow. Worry is going to come as a result of that. You see this here in your notes. I give you some notes that you can fill in every week. Perhaps you want to fill in those blanks and reflect upon it later on in the week. But the first thing that you see about worry, the answer to the question, why do we worry, which is what I stated today was all about, worry is the result of divided devotion. Simply put, worry is the result of divided devotion. It's the clearest way I know how to answer that question. Why do we worry? It's because we have divided devotion. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, worry surfaces when I split my devotion, or when I misplace my devotion, or I put it somewhere that it doesn't need to be. If you go back and look at the original Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, it wasn't written in English. They weren't speaking English back in, you know, AD 30 in the Middle East. So it's written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so words like gyra, even our English words like worry, they have deeper meaning because the Greek language doesn't have as many words as the English language does. And so words had to mean many different things. And so if you go back and look at this word, in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry, which is a verb. Some of you been, have not been in school for a long time. That's an action word. So a verb is an action word. Therefore, do not worry. It's this Greek word, merim now. And what it means is to not be anxious, to not have your own self-interest. But if you double-click on that word, you realize that that verb is actually a root of a noun called merimnah. And you're like, ah, that has to be the same thing, right? What merimnah means is to have divided direction, serving two directions, going in two different directions. So you literally could translate verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not live your life drawn in two different directions. That's what it literally means. So when Jesus is saying here on the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry, he's in essence saying, don't be here and there. Don't try to please God and please man. Don't try to make life all about you and life all about God, because worry always results from that. If you've ever been on a team that had a head coach and an assistant coach that told you to do two different things, how did that work out for you? You know, you get the head coach calling a play and the assistant coach calling a play over here. What happens to the team in the middle? You know, chaos ensues because they're running two different plays. Parents, don't raise your hands by this, but have you ever not been on the same page? Mom says something and dad says something. Where are the kids? Ugh, stuck in the middle. Do I follow what mom says? Do I follow what dad says? Because I'm trying to be devoted to both. That's what they teach me in Sunday school. I need to listen to both. And, but they're telling me different things. How about at work? You ever had a boss that tells you to do your job one way and a boss's boss that tells you to do the job differently? What are you doing? In the middle trying to please everybody. And the end result is not very good. See, worry overflows when my devotion's not in the right place. Now, what I tend to worry about, though, is probably a pretty good indicator of what I'm devoted to. Because he says in here, you know, that talking about devotion and misplaced devotion, specifically in verse 21, no, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one, and you despise the other. See, I, I tend to worry about things that I'm most devoted to. And some of us, if we're honest, one of the things that we're most devoted to is money, and therefore that's what we tend to worry about the most. But it's not all bad. I mean, some of the things that you and I worry about, I mean, there's a basic human response for anxiety and fight or flight, and we worry about things that are really, really important to us. You know, I worry about my most devoted things, 
you know, I have three people in this world that are my most devoted people, and I, I worry about them. I, not in an unhealthy way, but I try not to take it to an unhealthy way, but I, I worry about them. You know, I worry about my kids getting good grades. I worry about my kids a lot more than I worry about your kids' grades. <laughs> now, does that make me ruthless? No. It makes me human. Why? Because I'm more devoted to them. You should worry about your kid making the team more than you worry about my kids making the team. Why? Because you're devoted to them. Now, don't take it to an unhealthy place, but you're devoted. You care. And Jesus is saying that the objects of your devotion, if not left in the proper channels, and if not taken through the proper context, can really become significant points of worry for you. So worry comes when I divide that. If I'm fully devoted to me, life's about me, life's about my benefit, then I tend to worry. But when I realize I exist to bring glory to God, and I let him be my audience. He's the one that I seek to please. He's the one that I'm seeking to be all in with. Then worry begins to minimize. And Jesus told us we could expect that. Go back to verse 26. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, Jesus says, you're worried about all of these things, and most of the things that you're worried about are the things that you can see. It's clothes, it's food, it's a, you know, a roof over your head. But Jesus says, even though you're worrying about good things, worry is still not the right response. You can be worried about things that aren't even, quote-unquote, bad from the world's perspective. But if you're worrying more than trusting, Jesus says, I have some business that I want to do in your life. Because look at the birds there. They don't hoard. There's not an A&E special for bird hoarders, you know, that... that you know, they, they don't worry. They don't hurry. And how much more valuable are you than they are is what Jesus says. So God's got this. He's got you. Some of you, God, God has brought you here today. I believe God has brought you today because he just wants you to get that. He's got you. He's holding you. He is for you. He loves you. And it may seem like the world is falling apart around you. And that you have so many reasons right now to just be a nervous ball of energy, a wreck all the time. But he's got you because you're more valuable than a bird. <laughs> he's going to provide for you. In fact, you see it here on your notes. But when you forget how good God is, worry tends to follow. Why do we worry? Because I think we forget sometimes just how good God is. When I forget how good God is, worry does tend to follow. When I realize or don't realize how much I'm loved by God, worry follows. When I don't realize the magnitude of what Jesus did for me, that God sent his one and only son so that I could have life. When I fail to realize that, worry follows. I forget his holiness. I forget that he's sovereign. I forget that he's the one holding it all together, and therefore I don't have to worry. I have very distinct memories uh, as a child and even as a teenager of watching uh, sports with my family, with my grandparents, and I grew up in Kentucky, and I'm unashamedly a big University of Kentucky basketball fan and football fan as of yesterday. Um, um, but um, I remember watching it with my grandparents, and I love my grandparents, but, you know, one set of them specifically, they, they were kind of in the glass half um, empty category of life, and we would get down by like six or eight points, and they would be like, well, we're going to lose this one. And I would be like, there's like 12 minutes left on the game. Like, I think we're going to be okay. And, well, you know, we're down. We're going to throw in the towel. And me being the eternal optimist, you know, I just beg to differ. Because in some of those times, I would be like, look how much time we have left. We're not even down that much. 
But then all time, sometimes what I also knew that they didn't know is that we had already won 20 games that season and lost one. We had a good track record. It's like, I believe in this team. I know this team. I know what this team is capable of. I have confidence in this team. I wasn't ready to throw in the towel because I knew what we were capable of doing. But sometimes when it comes to God, we don't have that confidence in him. We forget about his track record. We forget about all the times that he has met our needs leading up to this moment right now. We don't trust him, and we see a problem approaching, and instead of saying, God, I know that you have got this, we reach an impasse, and we just throw up our hands and say, you know what, I'm going to try to figure this out myself. Or I just go rogue and completely bypass God, and I see people doing this literally all the time. A problem ensues in their life, and instead of saying, God, I know that you've got this, we become kind of like a little hamster on a wheel, and we try to figure it all out on our own, and God is saying, got this. You're more valuable than a bird. When it comes to God, do you have that confidence in him? Do you believe in him? Do you see his goodness or have you forgotten this morning just how good he is? Because look what Jesus says. He says, when you, when you forget him, Jesus makes it really, really clear for us. Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? For those of you who are really prone to worry, how's that working out for you? How's it going? My experience has probably been your experience. You see this here on your notes, but worry takes from you and rarely gives to you. Every so often, something good happens because of what we worry about. But worry, generally speaking, it, it takes. It takes from you. It rarely gives to you. Have you had those experiences where you've got a project at work or maybe there's something that's really uncertain in your life and you're trying to go to bed and you're trying to go to sleep and it's just hour after hour is passing. It's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're watching, you're looking at your phone and, and you're just realizing, like, tomorrow's going to be a bad day too <laughs> because I'm not getting any sleep and you're worried about some project and how it's going to go and then you end up getting to work and the project didn't really fall apart like you thought it was going to or everything seemed to work out okay and... It's been my experience that most of what I tend to worry about doesn't really ever happen. It's all the stuff that I wasn't expecting, that I wasn't worried about, that comes and, you know, hits you like a ton of bricks. Because what does worry do? Worry is a thief. Worry robs you. Worry comes and steals. It steals your life. It steals your passion. And it has huge physical and psychological and emotional and mental impacts on your life none of which I have authority to speak about real conclusively or professionally, but it has huge implications for you. And we're going to seek to flesh some of that out over the next couple of weeks as well. But rest assured, on a very base level, worry takes. It doesn't really give. It takes from you. And so Jesus says there's a better way. Go back to verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, Jesus makes a connection here that I would rather ignore. Because worry is very commonplace, right? I mean, we all said, I mean, there was like one of you in the room that said you don't worry, so thank you for being here. Um, and please pray for the rest of us, you know, that have some, some worrisome issues. But seeing that most of us tend to at least have the capacity, we know, how to, we know what it's like and we have some moments in our life, we think it's just inevitable. So therefore, I just kind of got to deal with it. But Jesus makes a connection here when he says in verse 30, O oh, you of little faith. 
Jesus, not Jason, Jesus says worry and faith are linked. There's some inextricable link here between worry and faith, and so you see it here on your notes, but when your faith goes down, worry tends to go up. Have you noticed that? When your faith goes down, worry tends to go up. And inversely, when your faith goes up, worry goes down. It's kind of like a seesaw. You guys remember the seesaws on your elementary playground? You know, up and down, it's this equilibrium. You always had the kid that you were up in the air and the kid jumped off. You know, the seesaw and, you know, you, you, you hit the ground because it was physics there. Something goes up, something comes down. Faith and worry kind of follow suit with that. When my faith is, is really a bedrock to me, then worry tends to offset. But if my worry is really at a high level, then my faith is probably not where it needs to be. So what is faith? Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And faith is the assurance about what we do not see. If you're comfortable highlighting in your Bible, highlight that phrase, do not see. Because that's what faith is. Faith is what we do not see. But what do we tend to worry about? We tend to worry about all the things that we can see. All the things that we have control over. All the things that we're trying to control in our own path. But O oh, ye of little faith, faith is confidence in what you hope for. It's confidence in who God is, and it's an assurance, an assurance that you can take to the bank about God is doing something even if you may not see it. When it comes to worry, when it comes to specifically the way that worry impacts our life, have you noticed that the bigger, um, the, the, the bigger or the more that you worry, the bigger the problem gets? The more that you allow it to keep taking over your life, the bigger that it gets. I, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this weekend. I was, I was harking back to um, some of the visits that I have made uh, to Washington, D.C., and my, my wife and mother-in-law are from the Washington, D.C. area. And, um, but I remember going as a kid, and the first time that I saw the Washington Monument, if you've ever seen the Washington Monument, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's a really, really cool place to be. It's an amazing city and all, all kinds of fun things to do. And if you're standing you know, at the end of the National Mall on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial... And you're looking all the way down the end of the National Mall. There's the Washington Monument. It's there. You've seen pictures, you know, Forrest Gump, you know, when they're running through the fountain. I mean, that's the scene, okay? It's all the way down there at the end. But if you're standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, you can kind of fit the Washington Monument in between your fingers. You know, it's there. You remember doing that as a kid? You were, you know, squashing somebody's head. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the Washington Monument, it's like right there. And then you start making the trek down the National Mall, and then the closer you get, it, it's not fitting in your, in, in your finger span anymore. And now it's here. And then you get to the base of the Washington Monument, and you look up. And you're like, that's a big pencil. Really? I mean, it looks like a pencil. And it is huge. I mean, it just soars up into the sky. But from a distance, it didn't really look that ominous. But the closer and closer I got to it, the more prowess it had, the bigger it was. The, just the, the more, you know, just, oh, that's this really big thing. And I think that what tends to happen with our worries is if I allow myself to keep worrying and worrying and worrying, my problems just continue to get bigger. And I lose the perspective, whereas if I step back for a second, I realize God's got this. Do you notice, though, that the same can be said of God? From a distance, God seems really small. When you're going through a worry and you're trying to figure it all out on your own, you know, God seems small. Does he really care? Some of you are probably asking yourself that question right now. Does God really care about what's going on in my life? Does God really know about my needs? And he seems so small, but you start spending time in his word. You stay committed to the community of believers. You engage in groups of people. You spend time in prayer, and God starts getting bigger and bigger 
And the closer you get to him, the more magnificent he is. And you realize how in control and you realize how sovereign and how holy and how loving he is. And Jesus says, if you're debilitated by worry, start stretching your faith, growing your faith, believing in him. Go back to the text, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, seek first his kingdom, and all the things that you were worried about, they follow suit. All of the things that seemed unknown, all the things that were kind of stressing you out, all those things follow suit. So keep things in the proper perspective. But I specifically want to look at verse 32 because it says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now that word pagan is probably not a word that you would ever use to describe somebody else, hopefully. Because it sounds like, you know, it, it, it sounds a lot worse than what it actually really means. I mean, what we're talking about here is somebody who's not following Jesus. I mean, we're talking about somebody whose life is shaped by the world. So it's the, you know, the antithesis of someone who is following Jesus. The sad reality, though, is that sometimes as followers of Christ, we don't handle, wor- we don't handle our worry any differently than the world. And Jesus is saying, if you handle worry like the world does... There's some area of faith that you need to grow in because the world, the pagans, the unchristians, the non-believers, they handle this rightly so because they don't have hope. There is no confidence in who Jesus is. But Jesus says when you worry about these things, you're just like the world. You're just like the hypocrites. You're just like the pagans who are out there living for themselves, making a name for themselves, storing for themselves treasures up on earth opposed to treasures in heaven, and you need to be different. In fact, you see this here on your notes, but if a Christ follower doesn't handle world wor- worry differently than the world, red flag. If you're here and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're not handling worry different, differently than the world around you, allow that to be a red flag. Hopefully there's a light that's coming off and on right now in your mind. You're saying, I need to attend to this. Because I'm not up here to, again, try to preach a sermon with rose-colored glasses on. That's not my point at all. But I do firmly believe that a follower of Jesus should handle a cancer diagnosis differently than a non-believer should. I think a, a Christian should be navigating the worries and the anxieties of our world right now a little bit differently than the rest of the world. Has nothing to do with how you handle choices and all those kinds of things, but just mentally and emotionally and at a heart level. How am I handling the things that are going on around me? See, a Christian should be able to look at a company downsized through a filter that a non-Christian shouldn't be able to because we trust God in that. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you're not at the point, you're not at the point that you hoped you would be in life right now. And if Jesus has radically changed your life, you should be able to see a perspective right now that an unbeliever can't see in that moment. Why? Because Jesus is the main player in the equation. For those of you that know Jesus, Jesus is the main player in your equation. And the sooner that we can figure that out, the better. The sooner you and I can grow in that, the better. Why? Why is all this important? Because Jesus gives us quite possibly what I think is one of the greatest biblical truths of all time. I mean, there's so much here. But I think what a great biblical truth that, gives, that Jesus gives us. There will never be less things to worry about. Right? That would have been a good amen moment. There will never, 
be less things to worry about. Amen. Thank you. You guys are a good crowd. There will never be less things to worry about. Look at Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Many of us in the room are parents, and, um, and you know, I think about our situation. You know, we're squarely in the preschool elementary parenting level right now. And obviously there's worries that come with that, and there's unknowns and all those kinds of things, and, 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 I, and I feel it. And, but then I talk to you guys who are parents of middle schoolers, and you start talking to me about what hormones do, and then I realize, no, you're more worried than I am, and you should be. <laughs> and then I talk to, then you middle school parents talk to parents of high schoolers, and then your high school parents tell you, oh, well, you wait till you get wheels. You wait till your 16-year-old gets wheels, and they spend more time with their friends than they do you. And your middle school parents say, yeah, you're more worried than I am, and you should be. And then you high school parents with a high school sophomore or junior, you talk to a parent that just sent their kid out of the house for the first time to college, and that parent is saying, oh, you just wait. You think you have a lot to worry about right now? You wait till they're not under your roof anymore, ever. They don't even want to come home and see me anymore. And they're worrying at a different level. Why? Because there's never going to be less things to worry about. It doesn't ever slow down. And so it's really important for us to figure out right now, how do I come up with a plan right now to understand worry, to not let it consume me? I'll look at the world that we're living in right now, and, um, and, and, and it, it is a challenging time. No, I'm not going to explain anything away. It's a really challenging time right now. I think about, you know, the 2020s, for example, the decade we're in. And undoubtedly, you know, when we look back on the 2020s, you know, COVID is, COVID-19 is going to be this umbrella that we, we look at this decade with. And uh, some of you, um, you know, have lost um, friends and family uh, to COVID. Some of you are, are, are struggling because of COVID. Some of you are, you've, you've lost relationships because of maybe, you know, various things. And, 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 and I'm sure you're trying to figure out what to do and all those things. And the point that I bring all that up, though, is what the enemy has done, though, is the enemy has made us believe that if we can just get through this, all my worries will go away. It's what the enemy does. The enemy specializes in half-truths to you. And God specializes in the absolute truth. And the absolute truth is, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What does the enemy say? The enemy says, if you just get through this, all your worries will be gone. And what comes tomorrow? Another worry. I mean, think about the world that we live in. Think about the 2010s. You know, the 2010s, who was worried about COVID in 2010? Nobody. What were we worried about in that decade? Well, depending on who you voted for, the president. You were worried about that. In the 2000s, you were worried about 9-11 and what happened. I mean, it radically changed the landscape of the world. You never fly in an airplane the same way again as a result of that. But then you, back, you know, keep backpedaling back to the 1990s. In the 1990s, it was Y2K. Some of us were stockpiling canned goods in our house because of what we were afraid of. But, you know, in the 1980s, it was the Cold War. I remember as a fourth grader having a very, I don't know if it was rational or irrational, fear of Russia. In going to school and thinking like, 
I'm afraid. You know, and, and I see people being afraid of this. In the 1970s, it was the Iran hostage crisis. In the 1960s, it was the Cuban Missile Crisis in Woodstock. Some of you grandparents, you know, you were at Woodstock. Don't raise your hand. Or you were there. Or <laughs> you, you know, you had your great-grandparents, people who just thought this is going to be the end of it all. Because my grandchild went to Woodstock in the 1950s, though, it was the Korean War. In the 1940s, Pearl Harbor was attacked. In the 1930s, the U.S. endured one of the worst droughts of all time called the Dust Bowl. In the 1920s, it was the Great Depression. In the 1910s, World War I broke out. In the 1900s, President McKinley was assassinated. Why did I go through a Cliff's Notes version of history? Because there's never going to be less things to worry about. There's never going to be less things to stress us out tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade. It's going to be something. So worry results from divided devotion. What does worry do? Worry comes into this room and it sucks up all the remaining oxygen in your life until, until you make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to turn my eyes to Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. The things of this world are going to continue to be stressful, continue to be worrisome. And I can't control it. I can't fix it. I can't, I can't make everybody else do what I want them to do. But I can keep my eyes on Jesus. So this morning, I just want to simply ask you, you know, where are you? I want to give you an opportunity today to respond uh, to Jesus, to turn your eyes to him. And maybe there's somebody in the room that it, you'll be turning your eyes to him for the first time. Or maybe there's a list of worries in your life right now, and they just seem really long, and they seem really so challenging and so difficult. And, and maybe this morning, you'll, you'll, just, you'll take a step of faith and say, you know, God, I want you to meet me right there in the middle of that. And in fact, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I'm actually going to ask a few of our leaders, some of our uh, pastoral care team, uh, some men and women in the room, to move over here to the sides of the room, uh, just to the front. Um, because maybe, maybe uh, you want someone to pray with you this morning. And, um, and you, just, you just need to know that you're not alone. Um, and so in, in this moment, um, if you want to turn your eyes to Jesus, um, nobody's looking around, and I, and I promise you nobody's going to judge you. Um, if anything, they're going to be excited that you want to take a step to follow Jesus. Um, there's some f- folks up here that love you and that care about you. And if you're here and you just want to talk to somebody about what it means to, to follow Jesus, uh, to trust him, um, won't you do us a favor and just uh, step out of your seat where you are. Nobody's looking at you. And you can come up and, and just find one of these men or women and just say, hey, I'd like to pray about that. Um, or maybe it's, um, maybe it's something else completely different where you're, just, you're really just wanting to know that, God, you've got this. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be stressed. So God, just meet me there. Maybe, maybe it would be helpful for you to just have somebody to pray with you to let you know that you're not alone. So in this time, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. But I want you to know these folks are here to help you, to pray with you, to help you just navigate through whatever it is that's going on in your life right now. So after I pray, you can stand. And if you'd like to move throughout this room, once you make yourself welcome to come forward, to find someone to pray with, and to ask them to meet you, to ask them to help you as you're seeking to be faithful to what it is that God wants you to do in your life. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this powerful moment of worship. And God, I pray that you would have free reign to work this morning. I pray for the person in this room right now that needs to turn their eyes to you, that this would be the day 
that they trust you, or maybe if they're a person who's struggling, that they would trust you, God, and, and give, give those worries uh, back to you. So thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for meeting us here in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.